Hello, and welcome to the 2017 debut episode of The Dr. Dion Show on Business Radio X, where you can listen to smart dialogue about diversity, leadership, and behavior in the workplace and beyond. We are broadcasting live from our new Gwinnett Business Radio X studio out of Sinesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel in Duluth, Georgia. I am joined by executive producer, Mr. Mike Salmon, and producer Trey. I'm your host, Dr. Dion Wright-Polton, and today's show is entitled Bias, Discrimination, and the Law, an interview with lawyer Robert C. D. McDonald. Today, we're going to answer questions like, can a company be sued for discrimination based upon one incident? What can employers do to help protect themselves from lawsuits and discrimination claims? And we're going to talk about real-life incidents that have occurred in society, and also I'll share a couple of things that I've, that I've gone through. We're going to have a really candid conversation so people will get some information and, and learn from us. Okay, so it is my pleasure to be joined by Mr. Robert McDonald, who I will be calling Bob, because I've, I've known Bob professionally for the last 10 years. And likewise, I'm sure you'll be calling me Dion, which is uh, no formalities here. How are you doing, Bob? I'm fine. Good morning, Dr. Dion. I'm and uh, thank you very much for inviting me to be on your show. It I'm is very happy to be here. It is my pleasure to have you, and it's, it's really interesting to see you in this capacity. So thank you for coming to support the show, and I look forward to having you on many more times after this. Thank you. So before we begin, a quick reminder that our show airs live on the second Friday of each month at 10 a.m., but you can listen to any of our previous shows anytime by visiting GwinnettBusinessRadioX.com. Okay, so Bob, would you like to kind of share who you are with, the, with our audience? Uh, what's, what's your background, uh, your, your areas of specialty, anything you want to share with the audience before we get started? Fine. I'll give you a thumbnail description of my uh, background immediately upon uh, graduating law school. My first job was here in Atlanta with Region 10 of the National Labor Relations Board, a federal agency. Shortly after I came on board, uh, I had to go off and do some military duty. So I was a JAG officer in the United States Air Force for three years. Upon completing my service obligation, I returned to uh, Region 10 here in Atlanta, where I worked for a few more years, and then I went out into private practice, uh, practicing in the employment, uh, discrimination, and labor relations area, uh, where I have practiced uh, ever since. I uh, also, for a 10-year period between roughly 2001 and 2012, taught a business law course as an adjunct professor at what was then Georgia Perimeter College at the Alpharetta campus. Uh, I think they have since merged with uh, Georgia State, uh, but I very much enjoyed that, and a lot of wonderful young men and women uh, came through my classroom during those 10 years, so I enjoyed it very much. So that's a little bit of my background. I'm still practicing. Primary em emphasis is on Title VII, Civil Rights Act of 1965, which uh, prohibits discrimination based on now age, race, sex, color, national origin, religion, and disability. Okay. And so along those lines, so if, for example, we're going to get to um, scenarios and to talk about actual uh, events that have occurred. So if, for example, at the end of the show, somebody believes that they face some kind of discrimination in the workplace, how many days do they have to actually file the suit um, from, from, from the time that, that something happens to when they actually 
come to you, for example, and, and, and file a claim? Okay. In most instances that I just described, if an employee elects to go to the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission and take advantage of Title VII, a charge of discrimination must be filed with that agency within 180 days of the last act of discrimination. Uh, the reason I say the last act is many times uh, instances of harassment uh, will occur over a period of time, and it's only after enduring a few months of harassment that the employee uh, will determine to take further action. Uh, in that case, the 180 days starts to run from that last act of discrimination. It's also called the EEOC. That's the acronym. That's yes. correct. Yes. That's correct. Okay, great. Okay, so let's just start getting into a scenario. I'm going to actually share. I've never actually publicly shared this incident with with um, that happened with me. I was probably on the way here. I was thinking I was probably I was driving, so I must have been 17, 17, 18. So I used to run track and field, and I had a back injury, and I went to a chiropractor that was I was referred to this chiropractor, and I had the feeling upon meeting him that there was I guess he was attracted. I guess so. I was in the room one day. And I was lying down on my stomach because I was getting my back treated with the pads and so on. He started kissing my back out of the blue. And I was <laughs> completely shocked, needless to say. I pretty much froze. I didn't, know what, I didn't know what to do. And never told my parents. I never went back again after that. So in that kind of situation, that's, that was an isolated incident. How do you interpret that? What do you think about that legally, if there's a legal component to this? Well, the first distinction would be since you were not an employee, uh, none of the discrimination laws that we are discussing would be implicated, but it is very important to understand that that did constitute a physical touching, uh, which would be assault and battery and would give rise to a civil action, a civil lawsuit, just a regular lawsuit, the same as if you were assaulted by someone on the street or if you were involved in an automobile accident and suffered injuries, that it would be a two-year statute of limitations, and you would be able uh, to bring a lawsuit under those circumstances. Okay, interesting. And now what if I was an employee, and, and my, my boss did that to me, and I, I know I needed my job, so I kind of just, I, I didn't obviously invite it, but I'll, I just had to just deal with it. What, what happens uh -huh. there? you would most normally that would constitute an instance sex harassment. Your 180 days would start running from the time that that incident occurred and you could go down to the EEOC and file a charge and pursue that claim. Now, a part of the EEOC process is that that agency uh, has uh, agents on duty uh, where an employee can walk in, sit down, talk to an agent on duty, and file a charge right then and there. Uh, and there are no fees, no cost involved. And then if the EEOC, they have a conciliation and mediation process, and if they are unable to resolve uh, the claims, then an employee uh, can request and will be is issued upon request a right to sue. 
giving them a right to go retain a private attorney and file a lawsuit in U.S. District Court and uh, proceed from there. And under those circumstances, the employee has 90 days to file a lawsuit from the receipt of that right to sue. Uh, so that is the way that you would pursue that claim, and many times simultaneous with pursuing Title VII claims, the employee will also pursue the civil claim mm -hmm. of assault and battery. Oh, wow. Okay. And so we've heard a lot uh, recently in the news about um, different sexual harassment cases. We're not going to go into detail about any particular case. However, as a woman, I, I will say, and I know for a lot of women speaking, some listening, sorry, it's, it's, it's a very difficult situation when you're in the position uh, where you're being quote unquote harassed, as you as you said, and 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 feeling vulnerable, uh, fearful, uh, afraid of, of of what could happen, and um, so my question is: is there is there or should be should there be a concern of of appearing to be complicit in a situation if you don't address it right away? Not necessarily, but the situation with sex harassment, as with other claims of harassment, it can be. Uh, race-based harassment. Uh, it could be age-based harassment. Uh, the employee is obligated to, at some point, go to the employer and tell them what is going on to give the employer an opportunity to take effective corrective action. It's kind of a sandbagging rule. Mm -hmm. An employee can't endure numerous instances of harassment and then spring it on the employer and file a lawsuit. And the employer says, well, you didn't give us a chance to do anything about it. You didn't give us a chance to correct mm -hmm. the misconduct. So an employee, generally speaking, is obligated to go to the employer and say, this is what's going on and uh, please correct it. The employer is obligated to investigate the matter if the employee's claims are well-founded, mm -hmm. uh, take effective corrective action. And that's where the rub often comes. Okay. Is there's no effective correction, corrective action taken. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, can we, can we clarify when you say go to the employer? Because I remember uh, recently seeing a, uh, uh, um, uh, not a documentary, but a but a, a show that talked about um, sexual harassment cases, and the person on television. And I know everybody on, on television is an expert, but I but I do think there's some legitimacy to what they said. They advised the list of the watchers on the television show not to go to HR immediately, because HR is considered a a um, representative of the company, and they, they're 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 more inclined to protect the company. Uh, so so is is there a chain of command they must follow, or can can you just go straight to the boss? What what is what is the absolute chain, chain of command that would that would protect somebody in that situation? Generally, uh, it's not the military, so employees are not obligated to go straight up the chain of command from their supervisor and on and on. Mm -hmm. What many companies do, because they do recognize this very issue that sometimes employees are uncomfortable with going to their local HR for whatever reason. Uh, they may, may know of another case uh, where an employee went and things didn't turn out well. So most employers have 
a hotline. Oh, really? Sometimes an anonymous hotline. Hmm. Employees can call any hour of the night or day and make their complaints. Then the employer is alerted to what's going on, and they go from there. Very interesting. So, now, let's let's think about the flip side to that, because I know uh, throughout your practice, you've had people constantly call and, and, and think that, and believe that they have cases. Can you share an experience along those lines of, of I guess, um, alleged sexual harassment where you think it was just unfounded? Sometimes what happens is an employee, they might be what's known sometimes as an eggshell plaintiff or a thin-skinned uh, person, hmm. things that other people would just uh, pass off and not think a thing about. Uh, to other people, uh, they believe uh, that something wrong has been done and they have been harassed. Uh, there was a time when uh, a woman called me a few days after the company Christmas party and <laughs> said, my boss came up to me and put his arm around me and gave me a peck on the cheek and wished me Merry Christmas. Is that sex harassment? And I said, certainly not. <laughs> certainly not. You do have employees that call from time to time. I do. And not only sex harassment, but other forms of discrimination. They don't have enough evidence to support a claim. Uh, other times they do. That depends on individual cases, case-by-case case situation. And I, as well as most employment attorneys, uh, give free telephone conversations. People can call up, say, this happened to me. What do you think? and uh, get some kind of baseline opinion as to whether or not they should go forward or that it's uh, not worthy of pursuit. Mm -hmm. And then I always uh, tell those folks who call, uh, you don't have to take my word for it. Call another attorney. Sometimes uh, two attorneys will see something completely different. Hmm. And what advice would you give to an employer if you've identified somebody who there are some people you just can't please. And there's some people who just, they're looking for ways to be upset. They're looking for ways to, to create chaos. And they're just, they're just, they're bad seeds. So how, what advice would you give to an employer or a boss who has uh, a, an employee who is difficult in that manner? The employers uh, that I have seen over the years that have the most difficulty are employers who fail to document mm -hmm. Uh, an employee's misconduct, whether it be active uh, misconduct such as uh, substance abuse, or it could be insubordination, it could be repeated absenteeism, anything in a long list of uh, employee performance deficiencies. Uh, the employers who get in the most trouble are the employers who have not adequately documented uh, those instances so that they can tell that employee that's always having a hard time, here's your record, and let's sit down and talk about it. And most times that will correct the situation. And while we're on the subject of documenting, it is also incumbent upon an employee uh, if they are experiencing situations that they feel are possibly discriminatory or unlawful, they too should document and say these instances happened on such and such a date, and this is basically what went down. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, after three, six, nine months and going through the EEOC and that sort of thing, it's difficult sometimes to recall the details that will support a claim. Okay. 
So document, document, document. That is correct. That okay. is absolutely correct. So we can we can change gears. I'm going to okay. now um, just kind of share another uh, scenario. I've had plenty in my life. Uh, I was I'm not going to name the school, but um, I um, was in uh, school, university, a university, and in the first semester of the year, I had to write a paper, and I wrote the paper. When I got the paper back, I had a big fat C. <laughs> at the top of my paper. And uh, I thought to myself, I don't do C's. But um, along with the C was a long black line down the margin of my opening paragraph. And I looked and I said, what is what is that? And so after I got the paper and everybody left the classroom, I asked the professor, I said, I said, can you just explain, you know, what does this black line mean? He proceeded to tell me, you didn't write that. You need to reference that. And I said, oh, really? I said, no, those are my words. I actually, I wrote that. No, you didn't. You need to reference that. You need to reference that. And so it, it it went back and forth for a little bit. And then I realized, okay, is this guy looking at me? And as he decided, based upon, I don't know, was my age or my race or whatever, I think it was my race, to be honest, because something happened after that. But I was very surprised. And it, it, I was, it was very hurtful uh, to have that experience. And I know that people, uh, when they're in the education system, that can definitely happen. So what do you... How do you interpret that situation? Well, that is probably just a a not too uncommon incident of racial stereotyping that your professor just believes that from your background or appearance or some other reason that you didn't possess that word in your vocabulary. There was a, a remarkably similar case just a few months ago. Uh, and the professor circled the word and I believe wrote on the paper, uh, you don't know this word. This is not your word. Oh, wow. And the uh, student was very upset. Now, these cases are all generally come under a uh, different statute called Title IX, which prohibits discrimination in the generally the educational system, uh, secondary schools, colleges, whatever school system, as long as there's some federal money involved. And there's federal money involved in virtually every school one way or another. So most colleges, universities, all schools would be involved in uh, uh, or be subject to the jurisdiction of Title IX. So that is separate and apart and uh, distinguishable from Title VII, but still the same general principles of discrimination apply whether it be race or age or sex or whatever. Okay. Very interesting. Okay. You're listening to The Dr. Dion Show, where you'll hear smart dialogue about diversity, leadership, and behavior in the workplace and beyond. I'm speaking with discrimination lawyer, Mr. Robert C.D. McDonald, also known as Bob, and I am very happy to have you here. Let's continue. Let's change gears. Let's let's discuss, uh, and again, I, I'm, we're not going to name any companies in this, in this conversation, but... Um, there was a recent incident involving a well-known uh, airline in which there was a medical emergency on board. The attendant asked if, if, there, were, if there were any physicians on board. And at that point, um, a, a black woman uh, said, okay, I'm a physician. And allegedly, the woman said to her, to the fact of, no, sweetie, we need somebody who's qualified. We need somebody who's whatever. And so that just started a firestorm and um, and, and the, the airline issued an apology. And that, it, for me, is, is a clear example of, 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 of 
the unconscious bias. So, so that attendant clearly didn't believe that she could be a physician. What do you think about that? Well, uh, I can pretty well assure you the attendant knows better now. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, the worst thing uh, today that uh, can happen to uh, most companies, and we mentioned it briefly before we went on the air, is to have a Twitter storm about an incident such as you've, you've described. Mm -hmm. A person who had the medical emergency might very well have a claim against the airline hmm. because if the flight attendant's handling of the situation resulted in a delay in treatment, then that passenger might very well have a cause of action. We don't know that, but it could be. And then, of course, the airline will handle the matter with the employee uh, and certainly will take corrective action. They don't want that to come up again. But it's just an example of stereotyping, which unfortunately uh, crops up. Uh, fairly often. And so, do you see that often in your practice? Does it come, does it come up? How, how often, in, in terms of, um, if you can quantify how many cases you get that are along the lines of maybe racial or sexual or whatever, what percentage of, of um, your work? Yeah. Well, again, of course, that person wouldn't be an employee, and I'm dealing normally just employees mm -hmm. and companies. But that person very well could call because of the racial aspect of it, but it would just be a different type of claim. But over the years, I suspect that the uh, majority of cases uh, of calls that I get involve race, sex, and age claims mm -hmm. in that order. Then... Uh, it would be followed by uh, national origin discrimination and then very few calls uh, involving religious discrimination, mm -hmm. a smattering of calls on disability discrimination. Okay. Uh, so that's kind of the, um, the order of magnitude of the discrimination cases that I see or people who talk to me. Okay. And so, and, and that, uh, incident involving the airline and also what I went through as a, um, as a student, that is, that those are kind of the, the examples as to why I got into the area that I am right now, which is diversity training, because I think people need to be trained on, on how to, uh, first of all, you have to address your, 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 your biases and your assumptions that you have. And I know we all have them. It's, it's a very normal thing. However, it's important to keep working on that. It's not a one and done kind of thing because like, for example, with the airline, uh, I, I found it interesting that her biases superseded an emergency. Like you, you have somebody who's unconscious, allegedly on, on the plane that I, I read an article, and yet you turn this person down because you have a perception, a, a, pre, pre, uh, a perception of them that is incorrect. And so that's the importance of, of 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 making sure that people are trained and on a regular basis. Do you, would you would you agree with that or? Employees should not only be trained on a regular basis, but there should be some sort of regular update to the training because discrimination law evolves and there are situations that appear in the headlines all the time that no one ever thought of, uh, specifically the one you just mentioned. Most people would, would never dream that that would happen to them, that they would have medical attention delayed because of something like that. And somewhere along the line, that employee probably signed off on a training session. Exactly. 
that attendant went to a training session and signed off that they were there, but the training didn't work. Mm -hmm. And that's why uh, reemphasizing and updating, I think, is important. There is significant financial exposure in some cases. Uh, if something really bad had happened to that passenger uh, as a result of the delay in treatment, mm -hmm. uh, there could be significant monetary damages uh, under Title VII for wrongful discharges and that sort of thing. There are provisions for full back pay, attorney's fees, and up to $300,000 in compensatory and punitive damages. Wow. Uh, there is another statute, uh, Section 1981 of an old uh, post-Civil War law that covers race and national origin discrimination. And the statute of limitations there is four years mm -hmm. that an employee may bring a claim. And there is no cap on damages. Uh, so depending upon the severity of the case, an employer could be looking at a significant monetary expenditure. And that's where your type of training slots in to help avoid those situations. Okay, great. Uh, just for clarity, can you differentiate between race and national origin? Okay, race is, uh, as we think of, as black, as Asian. Uh, sometimes it's Caucasian. They call it sometimes reverse discrimination, but it is nevertheless discrimination. National origin would be, for instance, discrimination against people from uh, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, mm -hmm. one of the Middle Eastern countries, or discrimination against Mexicans, mm -hmm. uh, other South Americans. That could be national origin discrimination. Sometimes they overlap. There are are some studies out there where race is really not officially recognized as classification, but mm -hmm. for all purposes uh, under Title VII and under the statutes we're talking about, mm -hmm. uh, it is certainly recognized. So then how would somebody, how can somebody prove whether it's national origin, would they have to, would someone have to actually reference the person's uh, country, where, where they're from? How do you differentiate between, like how do you know it's not race versus the national origin, or is it kind of, Combined or it's sometimes you don't and sometimes they just bleed into one another. OK, uh, but sometimes depending upon what the employer says mm -hmm. uh, to the employee, if if they use a racial epithet mm -hmm. or some other epithet that clearly indicates they're doing it because they're from Mexico or Guatemala or Honduras or something of that nature, uh, then, you know. Okay. Uh, and sometimes it would be, for instance, in a uh, failure to hire that there was uh, one Mexican, one black employee, and one white employee, all equally well qualified. Uh, and the white employee gets the job without any discernible reason for being favored over the other two. Mm -hmm. And that's just a little simple example. Uh, all of these cases, there are generally much more to them than you initially know. That is an example of how you could uh, determine uh, what the situation is. Okay. Very interesting.
So in terms of, um, you mentioned the term discriminate, discrimination, and, and we as human beings, we compartmentalize, we categorize to make sense of our world, and um, and we we do discriminate. We kind of we just we make we make differences. We 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 look at differences between things and people. The question is, can one incident make an employer vulnerable to a situation and if to to a lawsuit? Sorry, and if you can if you can give an example, if that's true, what do you what do you think? Generally, not. The courts describe those situations as isolated incidents. There will be an incident on, say, the production floor where one employee calls the other employee a racial epithet. Uh, And it's happened once, and uh, the supervisor uh, counsels the offending employee, and it never happens again. That's not going anywhere. That's an isolated incident. Mm -hmm. An employee is generally going to have to have enough evidence establish that the harassment was severe, was pervasive, lasted over a period of time, went uncorrected, and then the employee can get somewhere. Now, you do have situations where one incident is enough in the harassment context, and that is where the incident involves severe physical touching, or an incident of that nature uh, so that an employee can go and say, this, this is outrageous. I don't have to wait for it to happen anymore. Mm-hmm. So that's generally what you're thinking of. Okay. And and I know you mentioned uh, that the eggshell plaintiff and, and people being thin-skinned, but sometimes things happen and um, and it's so disturbing, you have to just take action. Uh, so I'm going to share an example. <laughs> so my daughters love ice cream. And um, we frequent a particular chain of um, ice cream fairly often, probably at least once a week. I, I'm, I'm ashamed to actually say that. But um, I went to a particular franchise and uh, I was wearing a suit. I was wearing a skirt, heels and a blazer like I'm dressed today. And I'm standing there and I made the order. I think it came up to, we, I bought two cu- two cones, scoops. It probably came up to like $6. And after I put in the order, the, the, uh, the uh, what's it called? The, the customer service person, who happened to be the manager actually, just kind of stood there, like looking at me weirdly. And I said, I said, okay, so I'll have the, I'll have the ice cream. He goes, you got to pay first. I said, pay first. I said, I've been coming here for 13 years. I don't, why do I have to pay first? I've never had that in my life. Oh, we've had people get their ice cream and run off. <laughs> so I looked at him. I said, I said, do I look like I'm going to run off? <laughs> I, said, I was so annoyed. And so we went, kind of went back and forth. And I said, uh, I looked at him. I said, I go, I said, are you the manager? I said, I said, Jorge, you're the manager? And he goes, he goes, yes, I am. I said, I said, Jorge, do you know what people call you when you leave the room sometimes? I said, you should, why are you? I was completely floored. At which point he went and got the ice cream, came back, and I, I paid. And I said, you know, I need to find out if this is this the store policy, is this the franchise policy? So actually, I looked up the, the head office and I called. And the woman who took my call was just completely floored, completely floored, and said, that's not our policy. Um, I, I apologize for that. She goes, she goes, even when you go to a restaurant, you don't pay for your food first. And she goes, that's, that's insane. It was $6. And, and apparently it had happened a few times with other people, other customers. So I wasn't the first one to complain. So I, I, I share that because I really think, and I, and I know I'm a teacher at heart, so I really think that 
it's important to challenge these kind of things when they happen. Otherwise, they don't improve and people will feel like, okay, it's okay to behave that way. And, and, and I will, and I shared this example too, because that person was Hispanic who did that to me. I'm a black woman. And so I just want to stress that it doesn't matter who you are. (laughs) You are capable of practicing discrimination. You're capable of being biased. You're you're capable of, of, of offending others, um, even when you should know better or you do know better. And so do you want to, do you want to speak to that? please? Well, there again, that's a situation not within the employer-employee context, but it is a situation where the types of training that you give uh, would be very helpful in certainly correcting and preventing those situations. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, that's the sort of thing, if you put that out on a tweet, it will be retweeted 10,000 times before the ice cream melts. So... Uh, <laughs> Most people are getting relief from those kinds of situations by doing that, by taking to the social media and saying, this is what happened. There mm-hmm. was a, an, an extremely unfortunate incident uh, involving a veteran on Veterans Day at a restaurant who, uh, who had his food actually taken away from him, a black veteran, because uh, the uh, manager of that particular restaurant didn't believe he was a veteran and he was sitting there with his discharge papers in his hand. Oh, wow. But that that's very unusual. The company, upon learning of it, of course, said this is not our policy and immediately took corrective action. That's the way most of those situations get handled nowadays. Okay. And, and, and to your point, there was a recent incident involving, uh, I think, a uh, he was an American Idol contestant, Bo Bice. I read that uh, he was at uh, the airport in Atlanta, and uh, I think he, somebody addressed him as white boy. He was offended, and rightfully so. And so he uh, took to Twitter and Facebook and uh, demanded an apology. And I believe uh, I read that the the person was suspended for for, for what um, for what they said. So, so I know it's not an employee-employer situation, but but I'm, we're, we're speaking more of like the customer service transaction because it happens. Like we we're out and about all the time in the public, and 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 those kind of situations they they happen fairly often, I'm I'm sure, and they they can often often happen. So, I wanted to share that because it it happens to anybody. It can happen to anybody. Correct. And you have to go to those companies and take the kind of action that we have been talking about uh, to have the situation corrected. Because one thing people forget sometimes is that for every wrong, there is not necessarily a legal remedy. That's right. So there are some things you simply have to go directly to the persons involved and seek corrective action because there is no legal remedy. Other cases, as we've been talking about, there certainly are legal remedies that can be pursued. And so for someone to know which is which, they, it's, it's always good to call you. They can call you and, and get correct. a free consultation to find out exactly, okay, do they have something that's actionable? Call an attorney and run it by them and do not delay about it. Uh, Again, there are statutes of limitations uh, in operation involving discrimination, the same as there would be if you were injured in an automobile accident. Mm -hmm. And if the person lets the statute expire, Mm -hmm. it's all over. Uh, It's as if the incident never happened once the statute of limitations has run. Okay, great. So in terms of, um, so what advice would you give to an employer? Just in, in general, if, if you can, if you could sum it up, if, if you can, 
what advice would you give to an employer to keep them from being vulnerable to um, lawsuits or claims or discrimination claims? What would you do? What would you say? Number one is the training, making sure employees are aware of their responsibilities and obligations to their fellow employees and to the people they manage and supervise. Proper training, I have to say. Proper proper. training, that's correct. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Secondly, uh, document, keep documentation on issues as they arrive. And thirdly, when these incidents come up, investigate, and if there's a reasonable basis for the employee's complaint, take corrective action. Don't just tell the employee, we've investigated, there's nothing there, go back to work. Take effective correction, corrective action, and follow up with the employee. I have employees call me from time to time. They say they did something, but they never told me about it. And he's still working here. Uh Uh-huh. And so those are the things that uh, cause Mm -hmm. uh, employers to be exposed to lawsuits, which can get quite expensive, not only the damages, but their own attorney's fees. They have to pay lawyers to fight these lawsuits, and it's not cheap. Oh, wow. And, and that happens a lot in education, I have to say, because the, and they always say, oh, we can't we can't disclose what we did because um, if, especially if it involves a student, we can't disclose what, what, how we handle that because it's a student and, and, and there's confidentiality. But I think the employer should still circle back and say, hey, even if they don't go into detail, they should say that we've done something. Or do, or do they have to go into detail? Well, now that under Title IX. Uh, that is not my specialty, mm-hmm. so I don't know to what extent they have to reveal to the offended student uh, specifically what has been done because there are laws regarding the personnel mm-hmm. uh, file confidentiality and all of that. But one would suspect that they would have to get back to the employee and uh, to the student and say, we have dealt with the issue, we have dealt with the problem, okay, or that we are investigating. Mm-hmm. And then what is an example of corrective, you said effective action? What is, what, is, what is an example of that? Well, effective corrective action could be calling in an offending supervisor, giving a written reprimand. Mm-hmm. Sometimes a verbal reprimand is all that is necessary. Or a written reprimand, sometimes a disciplinary layoff, if the circumstances justify, why then there would have to be a discharge. Or in cases of uh, failure to promote or something of that nature, failure to grant uh, a pay raise that is justified and is withheld for discriminatory reasons, then to correct that situation through uh, the Human Resources Office and uh, the uh, pay and uh, promotion practices of the company. And so just a little caveat. So when you said a written or verbal reprimand, even if you do, even if it's a verbal reprimand, as you should still document it. That is correct. Okay. And most companies that I've seen do. The, the, the companies that are good about documenting, mm-hmm. they will have everything there. Okay, great. Well, this has been a really fruitful conversation. And uh, before we sign off, I wanted to, uh, last, last question is, how can people find you? If they have, if they think there's something that's happening to them and how could they reach you uh just google law offices of robert cd mcdonald or robert mcdonald uh i have a website and all of the pertinent information is there okay and what's your telephone number 404-314-6738 great thank you 
So thank you so much for listening to The Dr. Dion Show, where you hear smart dialogue about diversity, leadership, and behavior in the workplace and beyond. Our show airs live on the second Friday of each month at 10 a.m., but you can listen to any of our shows anytime visiting GwinnettBusinessRadioX.com. We're broadcasting live from the Gwinnett Business Radio X studio in the beautiful Sinesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel in Duluth, Georgia. Uh, be sure to like, like uh, my show on, at The Dr. Dion Show on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter at Dr. Dion Poulton and on LinkedIn at Dr. Dion Poulton. And my telephone number is 404-323-3842. And I welcome um, feedback. If you have any, any comments about today's show, I, I would love to hear your comments. Okay. And uh, before we close, I'd like to say my little um, motto. Expand your circle and your mind. Let people in. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.